Have you ever wanted a do-over? A chance to go back, a chance to start over? I think all of us in the room can identify with that with that feeling of wanting to go back and redo something from our lives. For some of you, maybe it's a season of life. You wish you could go back and do a bunch of things different. For some, it's like, I, w- I wish I could do that decade over. For some, maybe that's a, a spring break you wish you could do over. Um, I've got kind of a, a silly story. My uh, son's uh, 13 now, but when he was seven, um, he was working hard. I gave him some incentives. We were trying to like build some good healthy habits. So I had him like pulling weeds and earning merit marks. And his goal was to uh, earn a Lego set. And so he did really good. He worked hard and he got enough marks. And I took him to Walmart and uh, to buy him a Lego set. But I gave him a $10 limit because I'm cheap. And actually, I'm not that cheap. That was before all this extra inflation kicked in. So that's probably like a $15 set now. So I'm not that cheap. But there was this uh, $7 set, and he uh, was looking at it because I told him, okay, I'll, I'll give you 10 bucks. If you want to spend more, you can spend more, but you'll have to pay Dad some extra. And uh, so he was looking at this $7 set. He's like, oh, I, I don't really like that one. And then there was this $18 set he really liked. And I'm like, well, you can do it, but, you know, after I take the hammer to your piggy bank, you're going to only have, like, 63 cents left. And he's like, okay. Um, but there was a $13 one that he really liked, not quite as much. And he was like, like processing this all, going back and forth. And he's like, you know what, Dad? I think I'm not going to go with the free one that I don't really like. But I'm also not going to go extravagant. I'm going to pick this one that I still really like, the $13 one. I thought that was very Dave Ramsey of a seven-year-old. Now, here's why I'm telling you this story. is because somehow in the process of taking him to Walmart and coming back, I lost my wallet. Yeah, we've all been there probably at some point. And uh, I was wearing some hiking pants, not sweats, to Walmart um, this time. But I came home, and I'm, like, searching, and I can't find my wallet. I'm checking under the seat, and I'm like, oh, no, my wallet must have fallen out of my front pocket. I had it in my front pocket somewhere in Walmart, and I'm sweating bullets, right? Because it's not just cash, very little bit of cash in the wallet. It's all, you know, you got to do the cards, and you're, and the worst part, you got to go to the DMV, right? And so it's a major pain. So I, I'm like, oh, no. So I called them, and I'm and long shot, but do you happen to somebody maybe turn a wallet in? And there's like, they went and looked. They're like, yeah, we have that wallet here. I'm like, oh, there's good people still even who shop at Walmart. (laughs) Now, now that was a a fairly trivial event in my life, but I've had plenty of other times in my life where I wish I could go back and actually do over something that cost a lot more. A number of years ago, I let some really harsh words fly to an extended family member. Man, I had some things that I had to get off my chest, and I said them in the moment. Man, that relationship still isn't repaired. Um, I had some things at certain times that I told God, I'm like, God, I, I won't do that. And I look up, I'm like, I did that. God, I think we all would like to have a do-over for some area of our life, wouldn't we? So I thought a great idea on a Easter weekend would be to huddle up in some small groups and just bare your souls and tell your deepest, darkest secrets. So <laughs> just kidding. We wouldn't do that. We want you newcomers to come back. We wouldn't do that. 
But if we did do that, if we did huddle up, if we did tell some stories, I'm sure there'd be some of them that are kind of trivial or funny like mine, um, but some that are actually pretty tragic. Some of you, you're at a place in your relationship with God where you just wish you could go back and have a do-over. You wish you could go start some things again because you feel further away from him than maybe you ever had. And today what we're going to do is we're going to look at an amazing conversation between Jesus and one of his closest followers who desperately wanted a do-over. And this guy's name is Peter. Now, we get to know Peter in all four accounts we have of the life of Jesus, but this conversation is only recorded in the Apostle John's account of Jesus. And as you read that, maybe you, if you were here on time and you, and you heard the intro video as uh, different voices read John chapter 20, when it gets to the end of that chapter, it, it has this epic verse, like, but these things, like Jesus did tons of stuff that's not written, but these specific things were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And as I read it, what it feels like to me, and what I think is maybe John is writing this, this letter, and he pens with this epic closing sentence and sets down his pen, and sometime about three in the morning, the Holy Spirit wakes him up. John, you're not done. You're not done. Because there's one more conversation that my followers are going to need to read throughout history to be encouraged to keep following me in spite of their failures. And so today, John chapter 21 is what we're going to be teaching through. And it's the conclusion of the book of John. And for us, it's the conclusion of about a two-year journey through the book of John. Now, we've taken some big breaks in between um, and done other books and stuff. But we've been in the book of John almost two years. Here's what that means. Look right and left real quick. Um, half of you weren't here when we started the book of John. Okay. So... Um, Anyway, but in a little while, we'll be diving into John chapter 21, and it's going to take us a little while to get there, so you don't have to start turning there quite, quite yet. But to set it up, before we get there today, I'm going to read one verse out of John chapter 1, and then I'm going to look at a bunch of different moments, some stories. I'm going to tell you some stories. And what I want to do is kind of give you a highlight reel of Jesus and Peter's relationship and some moments in their lives. And the very first one of those is this. It's when Peter meets Jesus. His history with Jesus starts um, actually with a different guy named John that John, the author, writes about. And that's John the Baptist. You've probably heard of him. He's this wild-eyed prophet guy, dresses in, in camel skin. And actually, as you read about him, I, I kind of feel like he's way ahead of his time because he's out in the desert eating locusts and honey, and they want us to eat bugs. Uh, he ate bugs before bugs were cool. So he was way ahead of his time. <laughs> Anybody tried those cricket bars? I used to get those. I can't do it anymore. Yeah. Anyway, so the religious leaders, they, they ask him, they come up to him because all these people are coming out to John to, to follow John, and uh, they're getting baptized, and they're turning away from their sins, and all these like um, people you wouldn't expect are coming out. So the religious leaders come up and ask him are, flat out, like, are you the Messiah? Are you the coming um, king, the anointed one we've been waiting for for hundreds of years? And John says, no, 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 I'm not him, but I'm here to prepare the way for him. I'm here to tell everyone, prepare your hearts because God's getting ready to do a new thing. His kingdom is coming and you want your hearts to be ready for what he's about ready to do. Well, one day John's out um, preaching in the wilderness and, and baptizing. And one day John sees Jesus coming toward him and he points at Jesus and he says, look, 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, if you're not familiar with this, this might sound kind of strange or different, but they would have, they would have clued into this right away because for 1,500 years, they had been celebrating a festival, a feast called the Passover, where a lamb's blood would be shed to avoid the judgment. And so that started all the way back in, with, with Moses, 1,500 years before this. And this is what actually we celebrate this week during Holy Week. We had Good Friday. And uh, some, some of you perhaps had a, a Passover meal with your kids. Our family did a little thing where we remembered this time. But the whole point during this Passover that Jesus um, specifically uh, was crucified during, um, we're told in history that up to 250,000 sacrificial lambs were sacrificed for the sins of the people. It's amazing. So they would have clued in exactly what John was saying, but it would have sounded really strange. Now, John had some disciples, just like Jesus had followers, learners. That's what the word means. John had some. And two of those disciples, they hear John say this. And they, uh, these two guys, um, as soon as John says, look, the Lamb of God, he identifies them. They peel off. We're like, peace out. See you, John. We're going to follow him. And so they're like tagging along, and, and you get this picture of Jesus just walking along as John like points him out. They're out in the desert, and he looks around, and there's these two young guys, probably late teens, early 20s, kind of tagging along, following him kind of awkwardly, and he kind of sees, and they keep tra trailing him. And, the, and finally, Jesus turns around, and he's like, what do you want? <laughs> and these guys are like, uh. It's so funny if you go read this. You got to read the Bible with like eyes of humor. See what's going on here. Because it's like, uh, they're like awkward and sheepish. Jesus is like, why are you following me? And one of them just says, uh, Rabbi, which means teacher. He's like, Rabbi, where are you staying? The other one's like, don't, that's all you could come up with? Like, where are you staying? And I think at this point, rabbis were known to have the greatest sense of humor in the culture. I think Jesus just gets this big grin on his face. And he says, come and see. Come and see. I love it. Jesus meets them right where they're at. They're curious. They want to know, get to know Jesus. Check Jesus out. And Jesus just says, come and see. Maybe this is the place some of you are at today. You're intrigued by Jesus. You're not quite sure about Jesus. Maybe some of you are skeptical. The same invitation he gives to these guys 2,000 years he extends to you. Come and see. Get to know me. See, Jesus is willing to meet you where you are at. Now, the cool thing is Peter's brother is one of these guys. And the very first thing he does after they spend this time with Jesus, he's so excited, and he runs and he finds uh, Peter, who isn't known as Peter yet. He's Simon, his brother Simon. He's like, you got to come. You got to come meet this. We found the Messiah. We found the Messiah. And so he, he grabs Peter, and they run on up, and he brings him and like pushes him up to meet Jesus. And in John 1, it says, and he, Andrew, brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. And then he gets a sly look in his eye, I think, and he says this, you will be called Kephas, which is translated Peter, which also needs translating because you speak English, and you just know the name Peter. Peter means the rock. So he looks at Peter, and he kind of, I think, gives him a nickname. He's like, you're Rocky. You're the rock. It's a good thing it's been a couple thousand years. Otherwise, Dwayne would have some trademark issues he'd have to be dealing with. But Jesus speaks calling. See what he's doing here? He's, he sees, 
He sees Peter. He knows what he's going to become. And he speaks calling, hey, you're not this yet. Right now you're just Simon, son of John. You're, you're a fisherman. Simple dude. But you are going to be used in a powerful way. You're the rock. Now the next time we see Jesus interacting with Peter, it's up by the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Peter's with some other dudes. They're out fishing. And the way they did it in this time, in this time of history at the Sea of Galilee, pretty large lake, close to a, like half of our Grand Valley. And uh, he's out there on this large lake. They're fishing. The water temperature drops at night. So they'd go out in the middle of the night. They'd fish till dawn. And as the water temperature cools off, the fish rise. And they'd go throw these nets out and catch these um, and try to catch fish. But this night, they don't catch anything. And these guys, this is what they do for a living. So kind of like bummer, wasted night. You're coming in, you're exhausted. Dawn, they're coming on in and they're pulling their nets up and and they're cleaning them and like picking trash out of them and beer cans and drying them out on the side. That's not in the Bible. I made that up. Just wanted to clarify that. But they're cleaning their nets. And I think over, over on the side here, what you see is Jesus is teaching. He's teaching a crowd by the side of the Sea of Galilee. And I think Peter's cleaning his nets a little bit and stretching them out, and he's listening, listening into what Jesus is saying on the side here. And before you know it, Jesus looks over because this crowd keeps pressing in, and Jesus is by the shore, and uh, Peter's over here by his boat. And uh, Jesus looks over, and he goes, hey, Rocky. <laughs> I remember you. Hey, dude, I need a favor. Can I use your boat? Peter's like, sure. So he jumps in his boat. They row out a little bit. Jesus teaches the crowd. Somewhere towards the end of this process, Jesus looks over at him after he's done teaching. He's like, uh, so uh, how was the fishing? <laughs> Peter's like, very funny, Jesus. You saw us come in with nothing. So Jesus goes, hey, tell you what, uh, why don't you just row out a little bit further and throw your nets on the other side. Let's see how you do. And I think Peter's thinking, look, you're the amazing teacher. I'm the fisherman, dude. Like, I don't tell you how to teach. But he says, okay, because it's you, I'll go ahead and do it. And he does. And, and him and some of these other guys, James, John, the author of this gospel, they throw the nets over, and there's this massive catch. They call their buddies over. Come on over. They, it takes two boats to get this massive catch in. And by the time they get to the shore and pull up this massive catch, it says Peter recognizes. Um, he thought Jesus was this rabbi. He recognizes he is in the presence of holiness, and he just he falls down. He says, away from me. I am a sinful man. And in that moment, Jesus says, no, I'm going to use you. And Jesus calls and says, follow me. He invites Peter to follow him. He says, I'm inviting you into a mission that's bigger than anything you can ever imagine. And Peter leaves everything and follows him. That's the moment where his journey really begins with Jesus. Now, a while later, he gets to walk on water. I think that's pretty cool. And not like at 15 miles an hour with a tow rope, okay? He, like, steps out of the boat. And sometimes we, we give him grief because he loses faith and he sinks. Dude, give the, give the guy, like, credit. He stepped out of the boat. And so I, I think that would be pretty crazy. A while later, they're, they're, like, circled up. And there's all these rumors swirling around about who Jesus is. And he's like, hey, guys, what's the word on the street? Who do people say I am? Everybody's like piping up. Oh, some say you're like the prophet. And some say you're you're like, you know, um, Elijah or 
coming, coming back. And, and he goes, well, who do you guys say that I am? And it gets real quiet around the circle. They want to make sure they have the right answer. And Peter, bold, throws his hands up. I know. He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus goes, ding, ding, ding. Blessed are you, Peter. You're going to be such a pillar. You're going to play such a role in this movement, this church, which is an ecclesia, gathering movement, assembly, that's going to spread all around the world. You've got a place in that. And then a while later, Jesus tells his disciples, and wasn't, he's got his 12, and then there's a larger group that follows him around too, listening and hanging on every word, trying to figure out who he is. And he starts laying down some hard teaching. See, they're expecting like a king to come in and like start a movement and conquer Rome, who's the oppressive power. But he starts telling them, I'm actually going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. And then he starts talking about like his flesh being bred and all this like talk that they're like, this is so hard. We don't get it. We don't understand. It's not so easy to follow Jesus anymore in this moment. And they start peeling off some of this, the outskirts and like these guys just quit following Jesus. They hit like unfollow. We're out of here. And Jesus is looking around at the group, the 12. And he asks them this piercing question. Like, do you guys want to leave too? And again, everybody gets real quiet. Thomas knows what he was thinking. Like, I think I'm going to sneak out the back. Be quiet. And Peter has this recognition that I think comes from way beyond him. It's something from God. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Like, yeah, it's hard. It's not easy. This isn't going the way we thought it would. And all of this talk about, like, you giving your life, I, I don't get that. But where can we go? You've changed our lives. You've given us a, a purpose and a vision so much bigger than we ever had. Where can we go? You're where life is found. Man, Peter's got it. A while later, they're in the upper room. Jesus does this shocking thing during this Holy Week. They're celebrating Passover together before Jesus will go to the cross. We know it as the Last Supper, right? And Jesus does this thing. He, like, picks up a basin and towel and begins washing their feet. And Peter's like, no, no, no. You're the teacher. You can't do that to me. And Jesus is like, I've got to. Otherwise, you don't have part of me. And so Peter's like, well, like, I'll have the whole bath then, the whole car wash. And Jesus is like, no, you don't need that. Just we'll do your feet. (laughs) He's very enthusiastic. And then Jesus starts talking about how they're all going to abandon him, and one of them will betray him. They're all going to fall away. And, and Peter's like, no, no, not me. He says, even if all these other guys, these, these other losers abandon you, I won't. I won't. I never will. Peter says, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Before the next morning, you're going to deny me three times. So they head out of the upper room, and they're out in the garden, and and Peter's determined not to abandon Jesus. They come to arrest Jesus. 
Peter, like there's this huge crowd of soldiers and stuff. Peter pulls out his dagger and like lunges forward to, to take out one of the guys and gets his ear. <laughs> and Jesus heals him, this, this guy, and says, Peter, put away your sword. I need to drink the cup the Father has given me. Jesus, Peter's determined, I won't abandon him. Jesus then is arrested and everybody flees. But to his credit, Peter comes back around. Peter and John go into the courtyard. Peter's there. He wants to be close to Jesus, but then a little girl sees him. Like probably a teenage girl, servant girl. Hey, wait, you're, you're one of the disciples. No. No, I'm not. Hey, wait, somebody else, you're, you're one of him. No, I don't even know him. Somebody else, yeah, wait a minute. I recognize your Galilee accent. I never knew him, and he calls down curses. All of a sudden, the rooster crows. And he goes out, and he weeps bitterly as Jesus is beaten, crucified, and buried and over the next few days, all the disciples are, are hide, hiding out in fear. They're ter- terrified of being the next one. They're lost in grief. They're lost in confusion. And a couple days later, on the first day of the week, resurrection morning, the day we call Easter Sunday, there's some women who also followed Jesus. And, and they were going out to see if they could get somebody to open up the tomb so they could re-embalm Jesus because they... A couple of dudes did it in a hurry Friday. And they're like, they obviously didn't do it right, right? So they go up, they find the, uh, the tomb empty, and actually angels appear. And then Jesus appears to Mary, and they're blown away. And they run off to tell the guys. And this is really interesting. I'm going to take just a quick bunny trail for a second, okay? Out, pop out of Peter's story for just a second. Because I think there's this interesting, like, side note on the resurrection. If you're here, maybe you're a little bit skeptical. Um, Let me just tell you, like, skeptical scholars have studied the resurrection. And here's the thing. The evidence for the historic reality of the resurrection is what actually led them to become followers of Jesus. One of the neat things is this. Um, it's, It's things that you would never expect to see if people were making up an account. And one of them is this. In all the Gospels, we find out the women were the first eyewitnesses. But the problem is, yeah, woohoo. The problem is at this time in history, it was a very, uh, all over the world, it was just the way the world was, it was very sexist, and women were not seen as credible witnesses. You couldn't bring them into a court of law. And so um, you would not put this in there if you were trying to make up a case for Jesus being risen. You would put the dudes that buried him, the rich and influential guys. That's who you'd put in. But but every one of them says, no, it's the women. They saw him, and, and they were the first ones. In fact, there was a skeptical detective, a police detective, and he, and he studied the different accounts of the resurrection, and here's what he concluded. He's like, when you, because when you, every one of us like written, it's this chaotic, traumatic kind of moment, and everyone's written from a different perspective, and some of the things take a little bit of figuring out to figure out how they all line up. And he's like, it's exactly what you'd expect when you interview a bunch of witnesses in a case. They don't line up exactly. In fact, when they do, that's evidence that everybody got together and came up with a story. You don't see that. 
You see them giving the account just how they remember it and the details that stuck out to them. And this has led, uh, it's, there's just great evidence for the, for the resurrection being historical, that they told it like it was and didn't just make up a story. Okay, so the women run and they tell Peter and they tell John and they don't believe them either, but they take off booking toward the tomb. And I love it because John puts this little detail in there. Him and Peter are good buddies. And he's like, and I outran him. <laughs> Schooled him. John outran him to the tomb. Peter comes by. He like goes down into the tomb. The tomb is empty. And that evening, the resurrected Jesus appears to them. Together, the disciples says, peace be with you. The disciples see Jesus. And all of a sudden, they believe he really is risen from the dead. And that brings us to John 21. It says this, afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, also known as Doubting Thomas. How'd you like to have that name for 2,000 years? Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee, James and John, the other two disciples were together. See, they're back up in their hometown now, northern Israel, up by the Sea of Galilee. And after the resurrection of Jesus, they're still not sure what it all means. I mean, Jesus has appeared to them a couple times, but they're not sure how this all works out. They were expecting a messianic kingdom to be ushered in, Rome to be conquered. Instead, Jesus rises from the dead, shows up in this resurrected body, and they're like, well, what do we do now? Jesus is alive, but we're not quite sure what we're supposed to do. They're back at home. No doubt their parents are like, Guys, maybe it's time to get practical. Start thinking about your future. You know, there's some high school sweethearts that are like, you going to put a ring on it? And for Peter, it's like, besides that, like, I totally blew it. I'm not even sure if Jesus would want me in whatever this thing is he's doing. <laughs> and so Peter comes up with a fallback plan, an idea. Verse 3, I'm, I'm going out to fish. Simon Peter told them. And they said, all right, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Can you imagine what that felt like? Peter's like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a failure in following Jesus. At least I have a backup plan. Then he goes out and it's like, I, can, I can't even do that. I just feel like a loser. I failed Jesus. I failed my family. What do I do now? Where do I go from here? Maybe some of you felt like that. You feel like that. I promised God. Then I did it again. I don't know where I go from here. I let my family down. Many people in this moment, they, they end up just drifting away from Jesus. I'm just going to put my head down, work hard over here, like focus on my career. Actually, they kind of just avoid Jesus. Because sometimes, like, just being around feels like a, makes them feel like a failure. Maybe some of you feel that way. You just wish you could do over, start over. In relationships, there's been so much stuff that's going on. Verse 4 says this, Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. So they're fishing again. No fish. <laughs> he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? 
<laughs> Don't you love it when people point out your failure that you're so aware of? <laughs> They're like, no. I'm sure they said in not so nice of a voice. No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. I'm sure they're like, whatever. They're dudes. They don't put this all together at this point. They're a little not, not so speedy. When they did, they were unable to haul the net because of the large number of fish. See what Jesus is doing here? This is really significant. This happened before. This happened before. This is where these guys, Peter, James, John, they were first called to follow Jesus. This is where they left their nets, their careers, their income, and pursued this kingdom life with the promise of Jesus that they be made fishers of men. It says, then the disciple whom Jesus loved. This is John, the author of the Gospel of John. Now, this sounds kind of maybe prideful, but I don't think it is. As you read through this, he refers to himself throughout this gospel as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I think knowing his past, he's just overwhelmed by the fact that Jesus would love him and save him and invite him into friendship. Truly, the, like the picture you get is like him and Jesus are best friends. And so it says, he said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards off. He's like splashing and swimming with all his clothes on. Um, he's not walking on water this time. And it says, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And this is significant. He comes up and there's a charcoal fire. John gives us really interesting detail. When's the last time we saw a charcoal fire? In, in, with the high priest, right? Anybody notice how scent can take you right back to a moment? I remember I spent a couple years in Southern California, like six to seven. My parents were going to school out there. And still to this day, the smell of jasmine brings me right back to Southern California, San Diego. Like I can remember it vividly. Peter comes up and he smells the fire, this charcoal fire. And it just brings him immediately back to the moment. He gets really quiet. All he can think about is the last charcoal fire where he denied Jesus three times. And Jesus said to them, bring some fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. See, there was something unique and special about the risen, glorified body of Jesus. Verse 13, Jesus came, he took the bread, and he gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And so they had seen their Savior, their friend, crucified, dead, and buried. And now they're there having lunch with him on the shore Breakfast on the shore of the Sea of Galilee blows their minds. They'll never be the same. 
So they eat breakfast, and then Jesus, and we'll see just in a minute, Jesus and Peter go for a walk. Jesus looks over. He's like, hey, Pete, let's go for a walk. I think Peter in that moment is feeling like, uh-oh, here it comes. Here's the conversation I've been worried about. Like, yeah, Peter, about that whole, like, pillar thing. Eh. I think we're going to restructure the company. The whole call to leadership. Maybe this whole fishing thing is a better career path for you. And it says, when they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. Uh-oh. Simon. No rock. No rocky. Simon. His original name. Here's what I think Jesus is doing. He's saying, hey, remember who you were before you met me. These fish, just focused on, you know, putting your head down, making a living, playing some golf on the weekends, you know, driving balls into the Sea of Galilee. That was your life. Kind of focused on yourself. Remember, remember how big your world was before you met me, before I spoke calling to you, Simon, son of John. Do you love me more than these? His scholars have debated this. More than these? Is he talking about the fish? Is he talking about the other disciples? I think that's a good possibility. Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Now, there's a couple really interesting things going on in these three little verses. First thing is he's, he's like, do, do you love me more than these, these, likely these other guys? Peter, who stood up and said, even if all these other guys leave you, I never will. He doesn't have the same pride anymore. He recognizes he's not better than everyone else more special. I love you. You didn't come back and say, oh yeah, I love you way more than these guys. I love you. Third thing that's going on, second thing that's going on here is this. In English, we have one word we use for love. Some of you love your cat. Um, some of you. Um, we've, some of you, you know, love pizza. And then you tell your wife, I love you. And we all know it means different things. In, in Greek, there's three different words for love. Eros, which is more of a romantic love. There's phileo, which is friendship. It's genuine affection. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Then there's agape love, agapas. This is the kind of love you see in 1 Corinthians 13 that probably, if you're married, most of you had read at your wedding. Love is patient, kind 
doesn't envy or boast, does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, easily angered, it, it keeps no records of wrong, it does not delight in evil, it rejoices with truth, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. This is the love Jesus talked about when he said, greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their life for a friend, which he went on to do hours later. This is the love Jesus said when he said, if you, my followers, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's commitment. It's, it's choice. It's volition. It's choosing to prefer God above other things. Well, the first two times Jesus is looking at Peter, he asks, do you agape us? Do you agape me? Do you love me like that? And Peter answers back, I think humbly, Lord, um, you know I phileo you. I love you like a brother. I have affection for you. Jesus asks him again, do you agape me? Peter says, Lord, you know I... I love you like a brother. Not saying I'm better than all these other guys, but you know I genuinely love you. Third time, Jesus asked him, Lord, do you phileo me? And says he's hurt the third time. There's three times. What are also there? There are three. Three denials. Do you have affection for me? Peter's like... Lord, you know, I can't hide anything from you. I'm here. I'm humbled. I'm broken. There's no facade, no bravado. This is all I've got. I know I blew it, and I'll probably blow it again. But yes, I love you. But I'm not going to claim I'm going to do, do great things for you. And here's what Jesus says. All right, Peter. If that's where you're at, that's where, we're that's where we'll start. See, Jesus has to take him to the point of his greatest pain in order for him to become the pillar. Jesus has to see him humbled before he can become the hero. And then Jesus says, feed my sheep. Listen, Peter, I have a mission for you. Nothing has changed. You're called to lead. You're called to pour your life into others. I have not done this work in you just for you. It's for other people. And I had to get you to the point of your greatest pain in order to really use you. So get back to the job I called you to. Pour your life into other people. Feed my sheep. Do what you were wired and created to do. He goes on to encourage Peter. He says this, very truly, I tell you, like you're questioning if you'll have that self-sacrificing love for me. Let me tell you, Peter, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And church history tells us Peter would give his life as a martyr for Jesus, but he wouldn't allow them to crucify him in the same way as his Lord. He says, I'm not worthy. Crucify me upside down. He ended up being killed by Nero. Jesus says, you're going to do it. You're going to have that kind of sacrificing love for me, but not because of something you worked up on your own, something I'm going to do in you. And then he said to him, follow me. 
the first call, the invitation. Be mine. Be one of my guys. Follow me. Start where you're at. We'll, we'll go from there. You follow me. He reinstates Peter's calling. He tells him, hey, you're going to do it. You're going to make it. You're going to fulfill your calling. You're going to keep your promise to give everything. And everything changed for Peter in that moment. And Peter and these other disciples go on to do incredible things. Just a few short weeks later, empowered by the Holy Spirit, they go out with a boldness that had not been seen before. They, Peter will stare down the very religious leaders who condemned Jesus to death and tell them, hey, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We're witnesses of this. They were beaten and told to shut up, and they wouldn't shut up because they couldn't stop talking about the fact they had seen the resurrected Jesus. And that was the news that changed the course of history. They were all faithful. Every one of them died a martyr's death, except for John. Because they were not willing to give up this message that the risen Jesus is Lord of all. And God used them to change the course of history. And that's why you and I are here today. Amen? I'm going to invite the band up. And while they can't come up, I'm going to finish off this chapter. Just a few verses left. I'm just going to read it. It says this, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This is the one that had leaned back against Jesus at the supper. And it said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Pay attention, Peter. Live your calling. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? See, John, we think, scholars think John wrote this late in his life. It's very likely maybe all these other disciples that were dead at this point. This is the disciple who testifies these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. And John puts down his pen. And now he was finished. Would you stand? Here's the truth. Every one of us has an area we wish we could go and do over in life. But here's the beauty of the gospel and what Jesus did for us. We don't really get to do things over in life, do we? We don't get to go back. But the beauty of, of, of what Jesus does when he steps towards us is Jesus meets you where you're at with the invitation to follow me. Wherever you're at. Whether you're here and you're just kind of checking him out, you don't know what to think about Jesus. Maybe that's you in the room. And his invitation, I think, starts with that idea. Hey, come and see. Come and see. If you're like, I don't really know what I believe. I, I have a lot of questions still. I think Jesus would say, we can start there. Come and see. Keep, keep coming. Hang out. We invite you to hang out here. Some great people that love Jesus. Get your questions answered. Keep asking honest questions. 
Then there's those that you've done that and you're ready to respond to his call, maybe for the first time. And the invitation Jesus gives you is take the step, follow me. Follow me. Receive that life. Remember the original ending? I think from John, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. If that's you in the room, you can embrace that just by acknowledging that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died and rose again for you. And say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to follow you. Then there's those of you that you just feel so far from Jesus, but you want to come back. You want to come back. Some of you, you're like, I don't even know. I, I don't think I can say, Lord, I agape you. But there's something in my heart. I know I really do love you. I love you. And Jesus, I think, is saying to you right now, I can start with that. I'll meet you there. Follow me. You blew it? Turn around. Start walking back toward me. Receive forgiveness. Receive restoration. I know maybe you're hurt, you're confused, you got a lot of baggage. That's where we'll start. Follow me. I can bring healing to your life. Maybe some of you, you're a person that, that you have walked closely with God, and God has used you in some powerful ways, but there's been some hurt, there's been some stuff that went on, and you've been on the bench for a long time. The invitation is, hey, I want you to live your purpose again. Get back to the things I've called you to. Follow me. Follow me.